0: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I am your host, I am the Big Recon. And first and foremost, I want to thank everyone who watched live or has watched since the Facebook live event uh, from Columbus, Ohio last weekend. I can honestly tell you I looked and was very shocked this morning when there was over 200 views, so I really do appreciate everyone uh, taking the time out of their day or their evening if they watched on Friday. To spend some time with my friend and I, who truly enjoyed doing the show for you guys on Friday. On Saturday, it was, as we expected, Ohio State 49, Tulane 6. And I also did put up the halftime show, which was the alumni band special. The four script Ohio's with the main one on the home sideline, the eye being dotted by a gentleman who had just turned 100 years old. And had played in the band many years ago and always came to Alumni Weekend. It was a great thing to see. And once I cut the video off to see him bowing extra times and having 100,000 people scream for him was pretty cool. It is Saturday, the 29th of September. And tonight we have the whiteout in Penn State. We'll be coming to you with a second show this week, which I'll go into at the end, but this episode's going to be about my two homes. Anybody who's listened previously or knows me personally or listens to the show, I was born in upstate New York at the age of 14. I moved to Northeast Ohio, and I've been back in New York since the year 2000. I really do have two homes. When people ask me where I'm from, I identify as both someone from New York and Someone with roots in Northeast Ohio. My family's still there um, and I still consider it home when I go out there like this past week. Somebody said, when are you coming home? And I answer the question. It's not about New York is home or Cleveland's home. It's I have two of them. I'm very lucky. So we're going to talk about three teams from my two homes. The Browns, who I'm still shocked beat the Jets on Thursday, last Thursday night. The Ohio State Buckeyes, which I've got a little bit of a different take on something that people are talking about in the media, and of course, the events of tonight, coming soon, the final game of David Wright's New York Mets career. We're going to talk a little bit about where I think the Mets should go this offseason, and we're going to get into what tonight means to me. So we're going to start with the Browns in our Two Homes, Three Teams show, and I'll say it again, like I said last Friday, wow, Baker Mayfield was impressive last week. Uh, he jumped right on the field with that confidence and that spark that he had at Oklahoma and that he had at Texas Tech. Being an Ohio State fan, I remember what that spark and that leadership did last year. We got the planning of the flag and the horseshoe. For a quarterback to do what Baker did last year to Ohio State was pretty impressive. What he did Thursday night, I think, was more impressive. Joe Thomas made a good point on Friday. The best thing for Baker might have been that he was in the two-minute drill when he came in. There was no time for thinking or second-guessing. You had to make a play. He threw the ball with confidence and zip, and he brought a spark to the Browns on the field and on the sideline, but most importantly to that stadium. Cleveland Browns Stadium, well, first energy stadium now. It's kind of like progressive field. It'll always be the Jake to me. But the stadium was pretty down. Uh, Tyrod had a rough first half, culminating in the injury. Baker comes in, and boom, 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 right down the field to have the kicker almost miss again. But he got it through the uprights. They go to halftime, 14-3, and then it is Baker time in the second half. I was still in Cleveland last Friday. I did not go to Columbus till Friday afternoon. To watch the morning shows in Cleveland, you'd have thought they won the Super Bowl. But remember, it was 635 days from the last time the Browns won a game. Baker Mayfield is the kind of guy the city of Cleveland can get behind. And with what he did last Thursday, Baker Mayfield may have just made John Dorsey the smartest man in the room. No matter what happens the rest of this season, Thursday night made it worth it. Browns have a long way to go. They are not a fully finished player polished product yet. There's a lot of youth, there's a lot of veterans, but there's a lot of veterans who have never played under the big lights. That takes some overcoming. Let's see how they do with this. Not only was Baker huge to the people there, I have friends and family I watched the game with. When Baker came in, it was a different animal, even at home in their living room. Let's see how Baker and the Browns do this week at Chucky World. I will say this again from the live show. The audio got a little messed up on Google Play trying to record it behind the live broadcast So people getting on Facebook. Denzel Ward is an absolute terror. The kid from Nordonia and Ohio State who went fourth in the first round, which I acknowledged I killed the Browns for doing, has been a revelation... And a true shutdown corner. This kid's going to be good. And he's got Amari Cooper coming this week. Who remember, Ohio State held pretty well in the college football playoff a few years ago when Ward was on the team. He wasn't a starter yet. But Ward was on the team. Now it's going to be his turn to try and stop Amari Cooper. Let's see how he does. If he stops Amari Cooper, I brought up Ohio State maybe being the new DBU. I think we're going to be there. It all depends on how they do Sunday and Chucky World. So I touched on where I think they should go. And that was keeping Baker as a starter, which they announced they would. Here's where I think the Browns will go. And everybody in Cleveland listening to this, I want you to sit down when I say this. Put the brakes on. With that defense, the Browns can win some games just with the defense and Baker keeping the offense on schedule. Not dynamic. On schedule. There is a difference. He doesn't need to be Aaron Rodgers. He needs to be Baker Mayfield. Keep the offense on schedule. The Browns can win some games. And next year can be a playoff team. Because they're only going to get better. I said in the show last Friday as well, do not put Baker Mayfield on that banner yet. Well, let me tell you something honestly because of how I know Cleveland is made DNA-wise and how it is a football town, Baker Mayfield, if he ends up doing the thing everyone hopes he can do and win a Super Bowl, it's going to be LeBron who... If Vince Lombardi's trophy comes back to Cleveland and Baker Mayfield is under center... There, no one will care what LeBron did. Baker won a Super Bowl. The NBA Finals was great. If Baker wins a Super Bowl, that's it. LeBron can go back to Akron and just be about Akron. Let's go down Route 71 a couple hours. Let's talk about the Ohio State Buckeyes. As I said in the opening, the game against Tulane went as predicted. A beatdown. They were also the only FCS team Ohio State has on their schedule this year. They're not playing Louisiana Lafayette this week like Alabama is. They are playing Penn State in their second Big Ten game after already throttling Rutgers a few weeks ago. Out of their five games, Ohio State will play four teams from Power Five conferences. This is the big one. This one will determine who goes to the Big Ten championship game. I don't think Michigan's getting out of Northwestern unscathed today. Uh, I could be wrong, but again, I don't, Michigan doesn't have the team to stick with Ohio State, and I think Penn State can beat them too. Let's talk about the quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Good Lord, this guy is insane. He played the first half last week. He went for 304 and five touchdowns in one half. In his Heisman season of 2006. Troy Smith accumulated 888 yards from scrimmage and eight touchdowns in his first four games. Dwayne Haskins has nearly 1,200 yards passing and 16 passing touchdowns in four games. Not to mention a rushing TD against TCU in Texas and any rushing yards he's put on on the board yet this year He's got 1,200 through the air. And he's only played one full game. That was down in Texas. Yet, the Heisman talk is not as prevalent as you would think. Everybody is two of this and two of that and two of this and two of that. Tua hasn't played anyone. Tua has played two of the bottom feeders from the SEC. Today against Louisiana Lafayette or Louisiana Monroe, whichever one they're playing. And they played Louisville, who I'll remind you from the college football preview, Louisville's only been in the national eye because of Lamar Jackson. And oh, by the way, he's Joe Flacco's backup now. They're not this great team that people think they are, and he's not as good... When he plays LSU and Auburn and he gets into the teeth of that SEC schedule when he's playing good teams, then come talk to me about how good Tua is. Because he made a ton of mistakes in the championship game, including a really costly interception that Georgia didn't capitalize on when he was playing against a good defense. Tua has not played a good defense yet. Can we stop? Can we put the brakes on? Dwayne Haskins carved up TCU, which is always in the top 30 to 35 defenses in the country. Not just FBS, also FCS. They're in the top quarter of teams every single year. But Haskins is getting no love for the, for the Heisman. ESPN has their rating. Excuse me. NFL has their ratings. Haskins is number two. I've been an Ohio State fan for a true rabid fan for about twenty years. And living in Ohio before that, you watch the games on Saturday because that's as a sports fan, that's what you did. I also sprinkled in a little Florida State and some other stuff. But this is really one of the few traditional, using quotation fingers, quarterbacks Ohio State has had. Really Joe Germain Krenzel was a runner. Troy Smith was a runner Terrell Pryor is now a wide receiver because he was so good at being a scrambler. And, of course, we have the great JT Barrett who left last year who made a lot of his mark and his biggest plays on the ground with his feet. Haskins is going to play on Sunday. I can guarantee you. Dwayne Haskins will play on Sunday. Is he pro-ready after this year? Not yet. Not yet. His numbers are helped by the fact That he has maybe the most talented wide receiver core in Ohio State's history at one time. Paris Campbell. Johnny Dixon. Austin Mack. Benjamin Victor. Terry McLaurin. These guys are not only... Do they have good hands? They are speed burners. These dudes can fly. I mentioned two plays last week in the uh, live show... Paris Campbell took a bubble screen last year in the Big Ten Championship game, and then this year in the TCU game, and he outran everyone. Guys had angles on him to the sideline, and he burned them. Terry McLaurin caught the long pass against Wisconsin last year and was pulling away from the defensive back. I got to watch the speed live last week. These dudes can fly, can flat-out motor. Let's see how they do against defenses that will push them at the line. I think Penn State will do that tonight. But Penn State hasn't played anyone with a running back like Ohio State. And Ohio State's got two of them. Michael Jordan has done a good job anchoring the offensive line. Yes, I said the words Michael Jordan. And I do find it funny. He wears LeBron cleats every game. So with tonight being the big one, we'll touch on that again next week. We'll review that game and look forward to the next one. Uh, But let's get into the biggest part of today. See, anybody who knows me and follows me on social media, you know my mantra. Today is Saturday, and on Saturday we wear scarlet and gray. But not today. Today I am recording this show in blue and orange. For tonight ends the era. Before we dive into ending the era. Newsflash. Mets have the best record in the National League East since August 1st. They've just knocked the Braves out of any kind of close to home field advantage for their playoff series. Because they beat them two out of three. The sad part is, for the first time since 2005, the Mets will not prepare with a plan for David Wright. You don't know what the plan was for him in 2004. I don't know if anybody knew he'd make his Major League debut, but starting in 2005, David Wright was the centerpiece of almost every plan the New York Mets had. As of 2017, it was even less, and the part of plan for him was to... Be there at the end of the year to play maybe one game. Tonight's it. Tonight's it. So where do the Mets go from here? Well, let's start with one thing that has been glossed over by any kind of media coverage. Ioannis Cespedes will probably not be ready until June after surgery on both heels earlier this season. They had tossed around moving him to first base. The problem with that is Peter Alonso is ready. Peter Alonso hit thirty some bombs in between Binghamton and Las Vegas this past year. He's ready to go. The Met infield next year, in my opinion, should look hundred percent different from what it will. What it was opening day of this past season. This past season, first base you had. Adrian Gonzalez. At second, you had Estrubo Cabrera. At short, you had Ahmed Rosario. At third base, you had Todd Frazier. As much as I love the Todd father, he's got to go. Now is the time to go young. You have the young talent. You have the young players who can carry a team. The Mets opening day infield in 2019. Dominic Smith at first base. Jeff McNeil at second. Ahmed Rosario at short. And Peter Alonzo at third. Have David Wright hand the reins to a homegrown top prospect. It is really the only way to do this. Frazier you could get some bullpen help for in the offseason. I think that's a great move. Then you got to wonder what they are going to do with Cespedes. They talked about moving him to first base. If he can run, you got to put him back in left field. Your opening day outfield next year should be Michael Conforto in left, Juan Lagares in center, and Brandon Nimmo in right. And when Cespedes comes back, you move Nimmo to center, you move uh, Conforto to right, and you let Cespedes play left. Or you move Cespedes to right if it's less running. Cespedes has got to be in the outfield. You have to take advantage of his arm and his gold-glove caliber defense. Let's see how he recovers from surgery before you go. oh, we need to move him to first base. All these decisions that I'm talking about, including how much of the starting rotation will be back, how much pitching do you go get, and how much bullpen help do you go get, will be made by a new GM. Sandy Alderson, stepping down earlier this year for some health reasons. They've been going with a three-headed monster ever since. You know... John Ricco is not the answer. Omar Minaya wasn't the answer the first time. The Mets need someone from the outside. Or a guy who built a franchise and put in pieces, parts of trades and um, free agents where he needed to. And that's their first base coach, Ruben Amaro Jr. Ruben Amaro was part of the team that constructed that Phillies teams of the late 2000s, the 07, 08, 09 teams that all won the Eastern Division, the 2008 World Championship, he was key in the trade for Roy Halladay, which we should thank him for because he sent Travis Darnot to Toronto and Travis Darnot came over here in the deal for R.A. Dickey. They don't have to necessarily go outside the organization. I don't think any of the conglomerate that's in the front office right now is really the answer. Omar Mania should stay. So should John Ricco. But the guy making the decisions has got to be somebody different. Alderson came in, did exactly what he said he was going to do. He put together a franchise that eventually won a pennant. You can't knock that. What I would do... Jason Vargas, I think, is rounding into form, but you have to address that you only have one lefty in the rotation. That's any good. So a left-handed starter to go with Steven Matz if Jason Vargas isn't the answer. You need left-handed bullpen help, and you need to decide. Are Seth Lugo and Robert Kesselman going to be the bullpen phenomenons they were this year? Or you are going to make one the closer? And if you make one the closer, it's got to be Lugo. He's got better stuff. As much as the ground ball machine Gesellman could be, I, I think Lugo's going to be the guy. I think Lugo's got a better temperament to be a closer. And as far as the lefties in the bullpen goes, Jerry Blevins had such a bad first half of the year, but he was pretty good down the stretch. So, do you bring Jerry back because he's been here a while and he's a fan favorite? You possibly. I don't think you pay him near as much, but you can bring him back. You got to see what else is out there. I don't know in this coming free agent class if there is a better option than Jerry Blevins, so now you wonder if you make a starter, a reliever like you did this year. Callaway and Island know what they're doing with the bullpen. I would trust them implicitly. They have made Lugo and Gesselman phenomenal bullpen pieces, which we thought somebody would have to go to the minor leagues at the beginning of the year. Nope, got them both. They've been great. Which brings me to Jacob deGrom, who we should hear is the 2018 National League Cy Young Award winner. This was a season for the ages. The problem was his team didn't get the memo. It was put out there, a stat by a fan, or maybe it was somebody in the media, that if the Mets would have scored four runs a game, which is the exact run support Max Scherzer got, Jacob DeGrom would have been 30-0. and Wrap your head around that for a minute. He was so good that if his teammates would have just done their jobs, he would have went undefeated and won just about every start. He gave up four runs and one start this year. He set the record for most quality starts in a season. He set the record for most quality starts in a row. He was lights out. And to finish your season the way he did, eight shutout innings against the Braves the other night, his final pitch of the 2018 season netted him his 1,000th career strikeout. Now remember, Jacob deGrom came up in May of 2014. 2014. That means in a little over, in less than four full seasons because he missed a good chunk of 2016. Jacob deGrom has struck out over a thousand batters. He is the fastest to do it in New York Mets history. Faster than Seaver, faster than Kuzman, Matlack, Gooden, Cone, Darling, Santana, and the list goes on. This guy knows how to pitch. He is out there every day, and he grinds, and he is filth. Mickey Calloway has already announced he will start opening day 2019. The season's not even over yet. Maybe he's anti-Samson. He cut his hair off. He got better. You put him with Thor, with Steven Matz, With a Zach Wheeler who has been a revelation in the second half. Guess what, kids? The New York Mets have a rotation that, if healthy, can carry them into the postseason. 2019 is going to be an interesting year. We got to see where they go from here. But I think 2019 could be a very interesting year for the New York Mets. We bring it all the way back to today. We bring it all the way back to the captain. But I want to talk about something besides the captain for right now. Because today will also be Jose Reyes' final game in a New York Mets uniform. Unless he does get a pinch hitting spot or plays tomorrow. Everyone who's a Mets fan, I want you to close your eyes and think of the summer of 2003. There was nothing to cheer for. With exception of this kid coming up and being an everyday player. There was nothing. You're talking about a guy who was going to be the centerpiece of a trade that would have sent Alex Rodriguez from the Texas Rangers to the New York Mets. Steve Phillips wanted to sign Jose Reyes when he came up after they denied the Alex Rodriguez trade. To a 10-year, $30 million contract. The Wilpons said no. But if today is going to be Jose's last day. And we know it's going to be the captain's. Them going out together is the only way it should be. So much of our hopes and dreams as as fans. Excuse me. Centered around these two young men. We watched them celebrate in 2006 together after a division championship. We watched them celebrate together after beating the Dodgers in the LDS. We watched them walk away sadly after losing in the LCS to the Cardinals. We watched them sadly as the 2007 and 2008 seasons fell apart. And then 2011, Reyes wins the first batting title in Mets history and walks away. 2012 into 2013, David Wright signs his eight-year contract, stays with the Mets. And Reyes even said, if one of us was going to stay, David was the one to pay. Wright was asked at his final press conference, would he want Jose Reyes to play next to him one th- final time? And he said it would be cool. And i got to give Mickey Calloway a lot of credit. Mickey was asked the same question. He said, oh, they've earned that. They will play together. I may not have read it correctly, but I'm pretty sure that Jose Reyes is hitting leadoff tonight and David Wright is batting third. I have on my YouTube playlist and my parents have at home the 1985 into 86 25th anniversary video the Mets put out. And as I said that, where they're batting in the lineup, I remember something that was said in the section where Tom Siever had come back to pitch opening day 1983. I said it felt like the good old days of Shea again. Seeing these guys tonight, it will feel like the good old days of Shea again. But tonight's going to be tough. It was announced that David Wright's two-year-old daughter will throw out the first pitch to his father. And then for the first time in her life, her dad is going to take the field and play at the position that he manned for so many years at a Hall of Fame level. Being very clear again, Hall of Fame level. And the best part is, he gets to do it one more time with his best friend. With the guy he said on the sign cleats was his brother. His Dominican brother. I implore Met fans to do the Jose chant like we were at Shea Stadium again and stand like you did last night for David Wright. We have our next generation of homegrown talent. And guys we can put our arms around. And Ahmed Rosario and Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo. And Jeff McNeil who has been a dirt on the face revelation. Dominic Smith. Peter Alonzo. Tomas Nito who's been great this year when he's been up behind the plate. And of course our pitching. But these two were the guys we put our arms around that were ours for fully realize this. These were the two guys we put our arms around after Daryl and Doc. Because the other guys we did were from other teams. Piazza, Pedro, the Carloses. These are the guys we put our arms around that were ours, homegrown since Daryl and Doc. So tonight we got one final ride with Reyes and Wright. And after David and Jose exit the game, I will tune in to the Whiteout and to Penn State and Ohio State. But today the Mets are the on the forefront. And tomorrow ends a baseball season that seemed to have gone by in the blink of an eye. So this is a special week here at the Big Recon on Sports. We will have two shows for you this week. Obviously this one, which will be up today on Saturday. And once all the baseball is done on Sunday, I will jump back into the computer and I will then put together my 2018 Major League Baseball October preview. The American League bracket is set. The National League looks like throw a dart and someone's getting to the playoffs. The Na- the American League bracket is so set, we already know who's got home field advantage in the wild card game. And we know really what the pitching matchups are going to be in the other series. And that's going to be a good one which we'll go into full detail in in our next show, which will be up sometime tomorrow into Monday. So I want to thank everybody again for listening. As always, we can be found on social media. Big Recon on Sports on Facebook, if you search it. At BR on Sports 1 on Twitter. Everybody salute the captain today. Because some guys wish for it and some guys work for it. And no one worked harder than him. Have a great day, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.